0: hello hello and happy monday we've got a special edition of happy healthy human radio today just in time hot off the presses before i head off to malta for my wedding i got the audio from the interview I did with Chris Parkinson over on DC Yoga Podcast. It was such a fabulous conversation because you know me, I love yoga and I love talking about yoga. And so it was so refreshing to get to have this conversation about my path to teaching yoga, why I love it so much, just the different aspects and things that I think about when putting together a class. And Uh, It it just was a really wonderful conversation and Chris was gracious enough to let me share this audio with you all. So first interviewee version of Happy Healthy Human Radio, I'm actually getting interviewed by Chris and I really hope you enjoy this freewheeling, beautiful conversation. I hope to sit down and speak with Chris again because we could have gone on for hours. I really think we could have kept talking for a really long time, but this one's just about an hour. Um, Perfect. Perfect to listen to through your week. I hope you enjoy it. And like I mentioned, I'm off to Malta. You can definitely catch some updates over on Instagram. I'm at be happy, healthy human. And I'll be sharing some of my favorite episodes and rebroadcasts while I'm away. Otherwise, I'll be talking to you probably September 18th or 19th, depending on how jet-lagged I am. Okay, friends. Talk soon. Enjoy. Ah, shoot. One last thing. Of course please go listen to DC Yoga Podcast. Chris sits down with some amazing teachers and studio owners around the DMV. It is a really uh, great podcast. I couldn't recommend it highly enough. I really enjoy it. Um, you can catch it over on iTunes. They're also on SoundCloud. Uh, DC Yoga Podcast. Enjoy. Okay. Thanks.
1: Hello. and Welcome to the DC Yoga Podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Parkinson. Um, we're here at the One Love Massive Studios in uh, Shaw uh, with uh, producer Mike, and our class guest today is uh, Samantha Tard. She is the founder of Happy Healthy Human, where she's a yoga instructor, Ayurvedic coach, and doula. She received her 200-hour yoga training at Franklin Street Yoga in Chapel Hill in 2015 and has been living and teaching in D.C. ever since. Sam has done advanced training in Ayurveda, yin yoga, and hands-on assists at Laughing Lotus in New York City and Inner Power Yoga in Sterling, Virginia. Sam has a PhD in nutrition from UNC Chapel Hill and marries her experience in Western nutrition, psychology, and medicine with the ancient wisdom of Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine. She shares these lessons in creating balance and bliss throughout her po- through her podcast, Happy Healthy Human Radio. Sam teaches private clients from her home as well as at Spark Yoga in Arlington and Equinox in Washington, D.C. She teaches regular workshops at Realignment Studio in Capitol Hill and teaches Ayurveda sequencing and self-care as a yoga instructor in 200-hour teaching trainings around the DMV. Her website is BeHappyHealthyHuman.com. Welcome, Sam. How are you doing?
0: Welcome. Very, very good. Thank you so much for having me, Chris.
1: Yeah. How's it going today?
0: Very good. It's been a beautiful day. Cool. Beautiful DC day. Yeah. Well,
1: well, maybe we should maybe we should take o- take over where we left off. We were talking before the, mm-hmm. the podcast about music mm-hmm. in uh, in classes. Where do you usually get most of your music from, or where do you get when you're when you're you just so let me just start this way. Okay. I get my music. I go into these like wormholes mm-hmm. in like iTunes and Spotify, mm-hmm. and I'll just like I'll play a song that I like, and then it always you know the ones at oh. the bottom where it says. Other people listen to, yes. and then I go there, and yes. then I go to the next one, and the next one. And yes. So I just pull out. I'll be for like two hours, and I'll maybe pull out three songs, and I kind of like go from there and build my library. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. how do you how do you go about it?
0: At this point, I have a huge library that's just been built because I've I've had Spotify for probably five or six years now, and so I've just been saving songs through that time ever ever since. And so when I'm building a pod or when I'm building an actual playlist. I'll often be scrolling through these like random save songs, whether it was something I heard on the radio, whether it was on a random Spotify playlist, if I heard it in a yoga class that I took, if it's something I remember hearing in a yoga class, if it's something I remember practicing myself, and then I'll start to build, and I have this kind of time frame in mind of like, okay, we're going to need six-ish high-tempo songs and like definitely two to three shavasani songs, and, and I'll kind of build from there. And so I do a little bit of the if you like this song you will like that one um but sometimes i feel like i'm just calling from such a large Mm -hmm. (laughs) large uh range of songs that i i don't do that as much more recently which has been fun is because i've been really working on trying to help my music be related to the theme of the class or at least like the energy of the class that i'm trying to have um over the course of a week so this is not every single class that i teach but I've been recently just doing random searches of words. So, uh. for example, we were doing a lot of work uh, this last week with, like, fluidity. And so I just searched water. And I was like, oh, what are, what are songs about water that I like? And, you know, are like, okay, I can't play TLC's Waterfalls. That's just, like, a little <laughs> too much. But Coldplay has a song, something, Every Feeling's a Waterfall or something like that. And that one works really nice. And so, um, so that's been a fun way of... Finding themes yeah. through classes or, and, and through songs that I wouldn't have put together in other ways. And so,
1: so you yeah. stick more to like the Western music than the, you know, kind of like the hippy dippy, like Indian, like the sitar and like. I the... know.
0: And I do mostly. I have, I enjoy throwing in one or two, but it will traditionally be either at like the first song or the last song. Every once in a while, it hits up in the middle. And some of that relates to a little bit of cultural appropriation. Not that I usually even think of yoga as—I first off, like, do not feel like we're doing cultural appropriation all that much. But um, at least personally, in my practice, I'm not. But I think if I was playing some chant to Krishna when I'm talking about—I don't know—something completely unrelated, like then I think I would feel right. weird about doing that. And so I try to make sure that. You know, I, I had a class where we there was a Shiva invocation and as well, we were talking about destruction. So this makes sense to me. And so as long as I feel like good about the chanting mm-hmm. or um, the music that I'm playing, that's I think that's why I kind of stay away from it is because I just don't know enough about it to feel good about what I'm playing.
1: Yeah, I mean that yeah. sort of speaks to like how you should probably be teaching yoga anyway. You know, yeah. I mean now you're just gonna throw into a random pose in a class that you have never done before, or never tried before, and yeah. just you know don't have <laughs> no experience with. You know,
0: I did that once. Oh yeah, tell it was me. a really bad idea. I had I was because I dream a lot of sequences in my head. Like I I really. Like of when you're asleep or this is this like when
1: you're like walking no, to the metro No, when I'm like something. walking to
0: the metro, yeah. like I think of, and I, I can kind of feel how poses will feel in my body, in my head, like mm-hmm. when I'm thinking about them. And I had this great idea. I was like, it would be so cool if we were in Crow and then we walk on our hands to the front of the mat. And I was convinced that it was going to work. And I was so convinced. I was like, okay, guys, we're all going to try this. Okay, it's it's going to be crazy. This is an experiment, but let's do it. Thank God I told everyone it was going to be an experiment first because <laughs> it failed miserably. Not only I couldn't do it, no one in the class could do it. I think it might be physically yeah, impossible this is to do <laughs> this is one of
1: those things where imagination takes no account for physics. Yeah. Yeah, th- like yeah. the, yeah, the Roadrunner and Wile E. <laughs> Coyote, like school of yoga <laughs> so I've only done that once
0: and that was even like it was like three months ago and I, I was so embarrassed I was so ashamed was that's like, funny never gonna do that again
1: I do uh, I do one I like to sometimes tease people about doing postures um, that are basically impossible mm-hmm. so in one of my classes I do um, I do a figure four you know laying on your back yeah. like that that pure form of stretch nice. and I tell people if you want to go deeper um, point your uh, the leg that you're holding up towards the sky to get a hamstring stretch mm-hmm. and then if you want want to go deeper like Reach up and grab the big toe with your middle fingers and index fingers, mm-hmm. and then if you want to go deeper, like use your other arm to pull your like knee in towards your chest, mm-hmm. and then if you want to go deeper, like the hand that's holding the big toe, pull that foot up over your head and stand up on your leg. <laughs> and like, and most people have that reaction, like they laugh and they're like, "Okay, that's impossible." But you'd be surprised how many people actually try it. Well,
0: that's why. That's why. I. To, I that's why. I, I, like humor is a hard thing sometimes in yoga yeah. classes, and I. And I. I know because I would totally. I sometimes I make jokes like that too but you got to be really careful cuz some people have that moment of being like, oh, "Wait, I got to try to do that." Oh right. my god, how am I going to do that? And you know, especially if they're depending on how much p- attention they're paying, you know, they might leave that class still thinking that that's something possible. That's true. <laughs>
1: or well at, well, at least in my case, at least my students, they'll be like they'll be the people that have like they'll stick out their tongue and go I'm going to do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like exactly. knowing it's impossible, exactly. but they're going to try it anyway. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yes, yeah. so you have to be careful.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh, I know. It's amazing. That's the best part about teaching yoga is uh, how much it teaches you about the words you say mm-hmm. and if they are meaningful or not. Because, my gosh, the first couple of classes I taught, I was like, wow, a lot of crap leaves my mouth. And mm-hmm. you start to realize pretty quick that if it doesn't feel true, you feel really bad that you said it.
1: Yeah, if you didn't know that like, People are different. Mm-hmm. Before you started teaching yoga, you learn that very quickly. Yeah, because we tend to think like that. Whatever w- thoughts we have, you tend to automatically assume other people have those thoughts. And you're mm-hmm. like everybody thinks like me mm-hmm. because I'm me, mm-hmm.
0: uh, and you
1: learn really quickly. Like mm-hmm. after classes, and when you interact with people, and they say, "Oh, you know, you said this," and, uh, and it it totally is they. People come from totally different places, you know, when they come to a yoga studio.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating. I, I'm, can I totally sideline the conversation? No, it's related to yoga. So this is an interesting thing because I've been thinking about this a lot with wheel pose recently mm-hmm. um, because I've been coached at times to teach wheel as an intense pose as a pose that takes work and that you need to support people through it by being like okay push into your feet you got this pull the heart up like you know kind of like energize people through the wheel Mm -hmm. and and I in turn even like kind of coached people through that in the same way and then I had a couple students say to me they're like you know what because first off I actually took a break from wheel about a year ago because I was like it's feeling too intense and it's not even like a physical issue. Like I can't do it. It's like m- the place my brain goes when I have to go to wheel is not a healthy place to be. So I'm going to just take a break from it. Mm-hmm. And I did. And I think I mentioned it to a couple students of mine. They said, you know, I've been really not wanting to do re- wheel recently. Cause I used to like the pose, but now I keep getting told in class that it's an intense pose that I should be working really hard at. And so now I don't like to do it as much anymore. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting mm-hmm. because kind of I was coaching people through that pose thinking no I'm helping them I'm supporting them by like like saying like, yeah I know we're in this and we're in this together and actually they were like wait am I supposed to be really in this cuz I'm I'm in this but I'm fine are you having a problem right, right now <laughs> That's like right. are you That's okay? Right. And, That's right. And that was like a really Interesting.
1: Mm -hmm. No, it's true. I so I it's it's in a similar vein. I teach a pose called uh, Swastika Asana. Mm, Um, mm -hmm. It's basically Mm -hmm. where you lie like a T on your belly Mm -hmm. and you step one foot over your other foot. It's a shoulder stretch, shoulder opener. Oh, I love that one. Yeah,
0: Um, Mm
1: -hmm. and I love it too because Mm -hmm. like I lift a lot of weights. Yeah, and so for me that stretch Mm -hmm. is like the for it's the equivalent of the half pigeon for women. Yes, right (laughs) when when women are like the bliss and half pigeon. Right, that's like the bliss i get when i'm in that like when i'm in that pose i appreciate that explanation. And, and i and i have people come up to me after class though and they're like you know chris i i'm not feeling anything in that pose like i'm not getting anything out of it and you're like yeah i under i get that and so what i did was i kind of took that and so in class now when i teach that pose i kind of say all right well you know if you're not feeling an intense stretch in your shoulder and your yeah. chest that's okay yeah that means that your shoulders stretched out enough. Yeah. And you don't need to go any further. Yeah. Like, congratulations. I like, like that. And then, so, like, yeah. basically, the idea is that, like, every pose should eventually be like that, mm-hmm. right? We talk about sthira and sukha, mm-hmm. right? We want people to be easeful mm-hmm. and steady. And, like, eventually, all poses should sort of feel like I could be here, I could not be here. Like, the stretch mm-hmm. doesn't really matter. What matters is my equilibrium of mind. Mm-hmm. And if mm-hmm. you find that in a pose, mm-hmm. great. Mm hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And sure, yeah, yeah, maybe there's like great. a next step. Great, but ultimately, that your brain is okay in it, yeah. and that you're not like having to fight being in it, is yeah. a is a really good thing, isn't? I say this a lot to my students. I'm like, isn't it amazing? Like, it, you're supposed to enjoy yourself here. Like, this is right. it's actually not punishment. Right. Uh-huh. If you
1: walked out of here feeling more <laughs> frustrated than when you walked in, you got to reevaluate why yeah. you're going to yoga. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: it's not the teacher's fault. Yeah. Right. This is all on the student. Why not? Right. I mean, this is the student's work. Isn't the, that the hard the part? The teacher is not there to make you feel more relaxed. Mm-hmm. You're there to make you feel you're more <laughs> relaxed. Right.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so let's kind of rewind a little bit. How long have uh, you been doing yoga?
0: So I've been doing yoga since, oh, my gosh, uh, 2005, 2004, 2005. Wow. Yeah. Very um, nice. Yeah. So because growing up, my mom did yoga. Um, and so she like she went to the YMCA like once a week and stuff. So she did it a little bit and then in my high school uh right at exam time they would have the local yoga studios the Himalayan Institute in Buffalo we have a Himalayan Institute and um and they would come in and teach a yoga class uh co- just for the week of exams that's so cool uh it was the best thing ever it changed my life like it com- it completely did cuz it was i like still remember the um i still remember being in warrior 2 and being like oh my god i And now I'm like, what was it about warrior two? But I just, I felt so strong and so good and so powerful in my body. And I was like, whoa, what is this stuff? Mm -hmm. Um, And really loved it. And so, uh, and so as soon as I had done that, I think, you know, we've done it maybe a couple times and I somehow found a yoga podcast. Like this must have been the yo- first yoga podcast that ever freaking existed in 2004, and it was Jiva Diva Yoga Jam.
1: Wow, Jiva Diva That's Yoga Jam. It was
0: a it was a <laughs> fabulous mouthful, and she had these 20 to 30 minute yoga podcasts, and I did them every day after school. That's and I great. Just loved it.
1: So she was actually teaching the class, and you were like going along with it. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. Yeah,
0: yeah. And so of course, I mean, I I even wonder how I even knew what the poses were. She must have explained stuff really, really well because of course there's times where you're like, what are we even doing? Right. But um, but it was really great and it was she would do kind of like a similar sequence each each in all of her different podcasts so you kind of knew where you were going and knew what you were going to mm-hmm. do but i used to now do did that other
1: so did other students were other like teenagers doing yoga too or did you find you're like i don't think you so. just like randomly I think, got just it to me. It. Yeah. I think this
0: is just me like yeah cause, i mean we all did it in that that one classroom but no one else i wasn't talking to my friends about jiva diva yoga jam this right. was this was just me Right now I've got this this
1: vision in my mind of, you know, something like the Goonies, you know, like they're all (laughs) trapped together or like the breakfast club and like they're all they have to do is yoga, you know, so they form this bond, like this high school bond of yoga. (laughs) No,
0: it was just me. And just like, I mean, and then to even speak of like the 16 year old Sam doing yoga, I remember my little sister's like a year and a half younger, you know, she would. Bargain or something went in the middle of my jiva Diva yoga jam and i would yell at her so bad oh, yeah. I'm, you were interrupting my yoga time <laughs> i learned later that that was <laughs> not yeah. the best thing to do
1: so and then did you keep doing it in college did yeah. you like it was like a thing
0: yeah it was a thing so because i went to college in new york city so there was a bustling mm-hmm. yoga scene there and i went to a college i went to cooper union so they there was no like School gym or anything like that, um, right. but I was right there on Astor Place, and uh, there oh, was yeah. Yoga to the People, yeah. and so that's where I first started doing yoga in New York City. And um, and again, just was like, oh man, this stuff. Um, and then about a year and a half into college, because I I fell in and out of love with Yoga to the People. If anyone's ever been there, and especially at that time, I mean, you were mat to mat. Yeah, tell us swe- about it. Oh my God, it was. Uh, so it was is in the middle of St. Mark's Place, and um. In, in the East Village of New York so like a very what's the word I want to look a very vibrant mm-hmm. um, community actually like in some senses it kind of reminds me of Shaw sure. and, um, and energy everywhere. There is energy everywhere yeah. and and so it was in this big kind of like townhousey building like three floors up and there was a yoga studio on each floor. And, and it was, it was a, a different pay what yoga you can. studio on each floor. No. So like they had like a, um, okay. Yeah, they had like three a, separate, yes, three separate you, studios studios on, on each floor. I mean, that's and, very New York, right? Yeah, of course. to have a building with three separate studios, <laughs> yeah. but yes. Yeah, so. yeah, that would be, that would be a lot. Yeah. But it was a pay what you can. And so, mm-hmm. and so that was part of their model. And, um, and I mean, people would just pack into this classroom. So you'd have a class with probably 50 people. And again, completely mat to mat, um, sweaty room, you know, it was East Village, so half the people didn't shower. Like, it yep. was it was attractive in its own little way. Um, but it was also really powerful, and it was really good. And they brought in um, some kind of the spiritual themes that Jiva Diva Yoga Jam, it was yoga, but it wasn't like, hey, let's talk about your day. Whereas um, yoga people got into that a little bit mm-hmm. more. So it was a really interesting community. Um, I kind of fell a little bit off of the yoga to the people at one point. Cause I remember I went to this one class and he spent like 20 minutes yelling about Walmart and I was like, okay, I like, I can move on from here. Um, and i was like i get this but between no deodorant and the mat to mat and like you know because there's there's also a little bit of like a stress when you try to like set up in a classroom like that sometimes
1: and when i and when i teach teachers uh, just as an aside when i teach teachers i always tell them like it's okay to like get on your soapbox a little bit as long as it has something to do with yoga yeah for god's sake don't tell me about the problems with your boyfriend (laughs) i don't care
0: (laughs) That's a really good one. You know what I mean? Like,
1: please do not tell me about this stuff.
0: And, you know, I I don't remember exactly where I picked this up from. It might have been a Brene Brown just because everything's from Brene Brown. But the talking about, talk about things that are not finished, but semi-resolved. So it's different for you to walk into a class and talk about how you just got off of the phone with your boyfriend and you just had a big fight. And it's different to say, you know, two years ago, I had this phone call with my boyfriend and this is what happened. And so... I think this one fell in the former of like being like you're still working out your your relationship exactly. to Walmart, so we gotta let me let me know when you find your answer and, yeah. and then we can talk about it.
1: How many how many times a week were you going when you were in college?
0: So so I should clarify to say so at Yoga to the People I was probably there like once a week, but then by the, my second year in college I found Laughing Lotus and uh. that was like my yoga home and i probably still consider it my yoga home and then i was there probably four to five times a week wow. i was there all the time yeah i had a very very lovely i worked at a coffee shop i worked at joe coffee and i had a very very lovely boss who gave me my bonuses in unlimited yoga
1: are you kidding me <laughs> yeah that's fantastic
0: <laughs> I, was, I was a really lucky woman and so i was there yeah. and it was it was blissful i was there you know all the all the mornings and it was it was the best and i learned so much there mm-hmm. so 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 much
1: that's cool. Um, yeah. So how so then at wh- what point were you like, all right, I got this. Now I'm going to teach this stuff.
0: Yeah. You know, so in college and during that time at Laughing Lotus, that was the first time where I was like, oh, my gosh, I want to be a teacher because particularly the teachers at Laughing Lotus. And I'll say the women, because most of the primary teachers I are going to were women, um, though there were men teaching. But the women that I saw that were working there <laughs> were professional yogis, meaning they didn't teach one class on the weekend. They were teaching a lot of classes, privates, workshops. They had other expertise. Mm-hmm. And so they, I saw for the first time, like, this example of, like, a yoga teacher as a career. And um and at the same time, they were very much in the world. We were in the middle of Manhattan, and they were not, like, everything is sunshine and roses. Like, there was a very realistic, like, oh my god, you could be a person and be a yoga teacher at the same time. Right. Um, and I really wanted to do that. But also, I was, you know, 19 or 20, and not as Confident, I think I could say, as I am now. Big surprise. And I was like, oh my gosh, I could never make money as a yoga teacher. Like, I'm way too smart to be a yoga teacher. There's no way I can do this. You're way
1: too smart to be a yoga teacher. I was in school
0: for chemical engineering, spending my day doing like differential equations or whatever it was, and miserable, but doing differential equations. And there was just a lot of stuff and Mm -hmm. stories around what it would mean to be a yoga teacher and what, and, and all that stuff. So I. So I wanted to do it, but could not commit to doing it um, right. for myself. And so when I was down getting my PhD, so big surprise, right? It was going to either be a yoga teacher or go get a PhD. That's kind <laughs> of, that's that was the choice I was yeah. trying to make for myself. So did the PhD and I was sitting there and I was like, okay, wow. So this whole like, let's do math still isn't working for you. Um, and, and I was doing a lot of exploration around what I wanted to do next because what happened was I had once again this experience of starting a project and then wanting to finish it even though i didn't like the project anymore so you get like excited about the project like great i'm gonna get a phd this is gonna be so awesome get three or four years into it and be like oh shit what am i doing here is it okay that i swear of course okay cool um I, you know what am i doing here i haven't here? figured
1: out how to put the explicit tag on yet but I, i'm <laughs> sure itunes will get to me eventually
0: exactly <laughs> you have all these yoga teachers with these potty I know, mouths on I your podcast <laughs> like there can't be any explicit language. that's why i'm hoping
1: they'll, they'll never listen to it because it's like spirituality <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> i'm sure it's fine <laughs> exactly exactly
0: wait until you get 20 minutes in folks yeah. um but what i did realize and, and i was having this sense of like okay i thought Engineering was going to be good. And then it wasn't. I thought a PhD was going to be good. Then it wasn't like all these things were coming in and out of my life. But yet I still loved yoga and yoga kept coming back and kept coming back. And I was like, you know what? Actually, the the main reason why it, what made me decide to do it is I was in Chapel Hill. I was looking at the yoga teacher trainings in New York City because I, of course, wanted to do Laughing Lotus. Yeah. I was looking at D.C. because I knew I was going to be moving there after graduation. And teacher training was half the price in Chapel Hill. So I was like, you know what? I can't put this off. It's yeah. it's cheaper and easier for me to just do it now. And day one, I was like, what the F were you waiting for? Because <laughs> this is the best thing ever. Yeah, This is the best thing ever. That's so cool. Yeah, yeah, it was cool.
1: How did you did you so you really loved your your teacher yeah. training down in Chapel Hill? I
0: did. I mean, it was love. I just loved finally this opportunity to ta- um, to geek out about this like actual mm-hmm. like how you put together a sequence and what you're doing and why are we even here? Because I and I'd picked up the nice thing about the teachers at Laughing Lotus and what again, what I almost haven't found as much in other places is how much they taught about all of yoga. So I knew about the sutras, I knew about mudras, and I knew about pranayama and Ayurveda and like all of these different things, but I had absolutely no one to talk about them with. And had no one to to think about mm-hmm. them with or share them with. And so finally in teacher training, at least I could like, again, sidetrack the conversation, be like, wait, I've always wanted to. Oh, my hand's in the air right now. Like, I really want to know about this one mudra. I've always been thinking about this mudra. What do we do with this mudra? Like, mm-hmm. And finally, I got that chance to talk about it. And that was the best.
1: That mm-hmm. was the best. So you're so and this is a little bit off the side. So you got a Ph.D. in nutrition. Yeah. But you're still doing differential equations.
0: Oh, well, so because my Ph.D. in nutrition, it was also related to epidemiology. Ah, So it was the public health side of nutrition. So I was coding in four different languages and all that different kind of stuff. So there was still a lot of math involved in Excel. Got you. Yeah
1: yeah i'll know i'll know i'm horrible with math so that's why I, like that's like like interests me i'm like phd in nutrition that sounds cool and then you said differential equation and my brain went yeah
0: there was still oh? some math yeah there was still <laughs> a lot of math yeah so math applied to nutrition which was way better than math applied to like chemical engineering problems so it was a it was a huge step up and still i mean nutrition still is one of my core passions and interests and yeah. loves and so it wasn't like oh my god i hate nutrition so that it wasn't that but but, again, it was me trying to, instead of saying, oh, I actually just want to talk to people about nutrition, I was saying, oh, I want to do math around nutrition. It's was like, no, 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 no.
1: So, right. Yeah. So when you, so you got the, you got the 200 hour, mm-hmm. like you knew you were like, all right, I'm definitely going to teach this stuff. So you came to you came to Washington. You started like what did you do? Like how did you get your first job in D.C.?
0: Yeah. Oh, so my first job in D.C. So this worked out. So this came through my first job in North Carolina, actually. So um, because I finished my 200 hour and I had about five or six months that I was teaching. And so my first teaching job was at the EPA. They Mm -hmm. had one in Durham. And, um, so I got the clearance to work for the federal government and all that stuff to go teach their corporate yoga class. It was actually the best corporate yoga class I've ever taught. Mm -hmm. Like if any of my EPA folks are listening, I miss you so bad because they were, they were great yogis and they, they had dime. They had all been going to that class for six, seven years. They were fantastic yogis. Anyway. Um, we should
1: also say though that lots of like, lots of, um, lots of agencies have their like weekly yoga class. Yeah. Like the SEC and like the Mm -hmm. state department and like. You'd you think it was sort of like, okay, well and I've done these corporate classes before and Indeed. a lot of times I've like found them to be very not well attended. Exactly. But I know many more people who do these classes and like they come every week. Yeah. Like every week. Like and if you're not there, they're like, Where were you last week? You <laughs> have to find the right building. So
0: that's what happened. So when I moved to to DC, I was like, there's tons of federal buildings here. So my first job was actually related into the into the federal building system. And so I think I taught at I taught at Veterans Affairs. I taught at the Senate Building. I did a, a bunch of those, and it was definitely a different jam than than my EPA experience in Durham. Like people were a little more intense than they were down in in Durham, North Carolina. You know, they had a little bit maybe more stressful jobs. Um, and so that was my first. Those were my first jobs in DC. Was was through the federal government, and then I started. I did a little bit of subbing at Embrace Yoga in mm-hmm. Adams Morgan. I was very, very luckily introduced early on to Jess Pierno of Yoga Heights. Yeah. And so then I really started subbing there and teaching there. And that was my first regular studio job in D.C. was was with Jess. Yeah, yeah. that's great. Yeah, yeah. That's
1: fantastic. Yeah. So then, good. so you came up here. Did you have a full-time job up here or you are just no. going to, you were like, oh, I'm just going to make this yoga thing work?
0: Yeah, make this yoga thing work between the yoga wow. and, you know, knowing the nutrition and and. Of course, I had like dreams of figuring out some sort of corporate nutrition, corporate wellness thing. Because again, I, so I, because I had started all this stuff in North Carolina and I learned pretty quickly that what was working in North Carolina wasn't working here in DC. So in North Carolina, I could get into a company, teach them five workshops, do some yoga, like, and it was, it was really working nicely. And mm-hmm. then when I came to DC, I couldn't even like get into these buildings. And so, because there were such bigger companies providing wellness, not just like, Samantha from North Carolina right. here to teach you like everything you need to know. So right, which is probably a good thing that it worked like that. So yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: Sounds like you got the confidence somewhere.
0: <laughs> somewhere.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I'm very good with email. <laughs> it's really
0: email easy to email anyone because what's the worst that happens? Exactly. <laughs>
1: no, different than the 19 year old Sam who didn't yeah. know she could be a teacher. Oh my
0: not. God, I know. Well, yeah, and it it did. I mean, because because from day one teaching, I just felt so. I don't want to say at home because i don't want to be like i was an awesome teacher from day one because i mean every three months i'm like oh god what were you doing three months ago right but from day one i felt i really love doing this and mm-hmm. i really i this is this is good this is good for me
1: so at what point then did you get into ayurveda was that something mm-hmm. that had always sort of been there or was that like
0: so yeah so ayurveda happened from laughing lotus so after ayurveda was from college and i was super in ayurveda and again this was, I was like, I want to be a yoga teacher and an Ayurvedic doctor. This is what I said at age 19, but I had no confidence in doing it. And, and especially, you know, 10 years ago, it wouldn't, it's not, it wasn't cool to be an Ayurvedic doctor 10 years ago. I'd be like, who, what are you even talking about? Right. You know, no one had even heard of it. Um, And so, so I just kind of pushed it to the side and I was like, okay, well, let me do the official nutrition stuff. Since I can't do the Ayurveda nutrition stuff, I'll do the official. And so, it was during my PhD, doing all this research, and it kept coming back. I'm like, ooh, actually, Ayurveda had more right like than wrong. And actually, if we applied some of Ayurvedic principles to what we're doing right now, we would probably in, be in way better shape. And so I brought Ayurveda back in, started to do more training in it um, because I knew... Like, okay, I want to do this nutrition stuff, but I need to bring in the the Eastern medicine side of things.
1: Did they do any in your um, in your Ph.D., did they do any uh, Eastern medicine? Was there research or did they talk about that or was it in textbooks or was there was there anything really mentioned about it or was it it was just literally just science? And
0: yeah, literally just science. I mean, you know, of course, if there was a study about turmeric or specific herbs, it would would come up. But if it was not something that was well researched and studied, it was like, oh, yeah, that stuff on the side. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't taught or considered as a main main thoroughfare for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. So
1: where did you and then where did you learn it and where did you go to to learn?
0: Yeah. So most of the training I did was through Laughing Lotus. So I've done a hundred hours of Ayurveda training. So um, they have one there. at Laughing Lotus. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. So yeah. So yeah. Uh, Ali Kramer as over at Laughing Lotus, and she's an Ayurveda coach. And uh, so. We did 50 hours there in New York city. And then I did 50 hours um, with her in India as well. So that was beautiful.
1: That's cool. Tell yeah. us about India. Oh I've been God. asking all my guests who's been oh to India God. to tell us about India.
0: It's amazing. I mean, so I went, so this was two Februarys ago. So February, 2017. And so I spent a day or two in Delhi and then we were there for a week in Haridwar, um, staying at the lovely Johari house with Seema, uh, Agarwal. And, um, it was lovely. I will say I wasn't like I didn't get to India and say, oh, my God, what is this crazy place? This is unlike anything I've ever seen. I don't know if it's because I've been to Brazil and other countries that I wasn't like, OK, I don't, don't want to put it this way. But like poverty wasn't like, oh, my God, I've never seen this kind right. of poverty before. It wasn't like that. Um, Delhi was like just felt like a dirty city that was just its own version of a right. city but when you got to when like,
1: we, this is this is like new york only there aren't as many mercedes on the street exactly
0: yeah it's just a little different yeah they're <laughs> just, just a little just more tuk-tuks and um <laughs> but when i got to Haridwar, and that was a smaller city on the ganges um uh, that was cool that was cool to see because you know we were up every morning at dawn over on the ganges and seeing all the people there praying and and washing um I mean, just walking down the street with all the cows—it it was—it was a different world. And you—I don't even know when I realized it, but you start to eventually realize like there is a vibration in that place and in that mm-hmm. part of the world that is different than the vibration here. Mm-hmm. And that could be addictive. That—that's—I yeah. don't even know if it's like the history. I don't know if it's that many people praying over that many years. I—I I don't know what it is, but there—there there was like a it felt like a different time like in a different sense of time when mm-hmm. it was there and it was really amazing you felt way maybe i'll say like i felt closer to the earth there yeah even if i was in a house with running water and all the all the regular modern conveniences but it just right. felt different
1: yeah, i don't know how you could feel closer to the earth without like the golden arches and Seven Eleven and starbucks <laughs> and you know exxon and just like <laughs> I shouting I for know. your attention every two seconds i know <laughs> i know yeah maybe just a little bit i know it sounds amazing how long yeah. were you there for just
0: a, just, a just a week just a week so yeah it was it was short but it was beautiful do you want to go back i do i would i would still want to figure out kind of where I, I think if you said, Sam, you can have a plane ticket to India right now, I would say, I don't know. If I knew where I was going to go, I think right. it would feel good. Like I, I I'm still at a place where I would need to know someone or know that I'm going to a place that will feel good and feel safe. Cause also like, it was also weird in some senses. Like I felt funky as a woman in India, yeah. like just men just looked at me differently than they did in other places. And it was just very different. Um, and because there was that big difference in feeling between Delhi where, you know, "Eh, I'm just at a random hotel room and Haridwar, where it was like not being taken care of. It wasn't like, it was a resort. And I don't mean that, but just that it was, there was a different vibration there than even than Delhi. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would want to know where it was going and and why I was going there. I think would be my sense. Yeah. I
1: think that's one of the, one of the issues I've, uh, often thought about going to India and just taking like six weeks and going to Mm -hmm. India. And then it's sort of like. Okay, you know, in a way that's like saying I'm just going to take 6 weeks and go to Europe. Yeah. Okay, yeah. but where do you start?
0: Yeah. Like yeah. where do you go? Like yeah. what am I going
1: to do? You know, it's yeah. not just like it's one thing if you can just buy a plane ticket and like land in Amsterdam. Mm-hmm. You probably do okay. Mm-hmm. It's another thing if you just buy a plane ticket and land in India somewhere and it's yeah. like, "Okay." Yeah, exactly, you know? cuz
0: you yeah, you could spend forever yeah. like getting lost, yeah, and knowing a city or a place or a person you want to stay with or an ashram you want to see. Mm-hmm. I think it just allows you to actually enjoy it is the way that I would think of it. And yeah. Yeah. So completely. So
1: tell us, uh, for those of us who don't know, Mm -hmm. give us an introduction to Ayurveda.
0: Yeah. So Ayurveda to use the first, the most generic definitions that we get is, is the sister science to yoga. It is the science of life. And really it's the part of yoga that is, um, the diet, the lifestyle, the routines, but also like the guiding theory of the universe. <laughs> and it's, Very nice. Yeah, it's beautiful, and it goes way beyond what you should eat for breakfast. I think that's how a lot of us first start: is oh, let me hear about what I should be eating and what I should do with my day. But if you actually like read the Ayurvedic textbooks, I highly, I love um, Dr. Vasant Lad. He's based out in New Mexico um, at the Ayurvedic Institute. His textbook reads like half science textbook and half Bible. You know, like you're sitting there and you're just talking about how your liver is processing some, you know, thing. And then suddenly he's talking about cellular intelligence and why our cells truly are a microcosm for the whole universe. And really, when we our pitta is working correctly, we are in the flow and the prana of every. Those aren't all the correct words, but but like I think I I cried at one part of the textbook. And so um, it's truly powerful and it's mm-hmm. it is it is a way of of organizing your world and organizing your life and um, and making sense of the world around you and it's ultimately a, a really beautiful piece of yoga because it is the piece that says what do you do off the mat and um and what do you do in the rest of your day and how do you look at yourself and your life and your you know the right. the time allocation but also just your your sense of well-being
1: yeah tell us a little bit more about the um uh the the part of ayurveda that's away from right the the food element Mm. because everybody tends to think it's just like okay what do i need to eat yeah like i'm an angry person so i should eat like lobster or you know what i mean like whatever (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. so yeah so away from like the just the food element
1: or i guess start with the food element like what like kind of is there is there like a can can we make generalizations about that or is it just so individualized
0: there are generalizations i think maybe maybe it's best to start with saying that ayurvedic theory is saying there is energy in the universe big surprise right but that there is there is a consciousness there's a consciousness that's made manifest which is the matter that we see and that there is energy in every single thing around us, whether it's a rock or a tree or a human or the sun, like the the sun rays. That is energy, like that, and it's it's something that physics has now proven. Right, that there is a vibration to everything in the world, and this is what Ayurveda starts with: is there is a vibration, there's a type of energy in everything in the world, and. When you start to look at those energies, you can start to classify it and you can start to kind of describe it just in the same way you'd say, Oh, this one's a little red and this one's a little blue. Well, you could say this energy is a little more like fire. Okay, this energy is a little more like earth. This energy is a little, it's an air type of energy, it's a wind type of energy. And so when you start to look at the energies that way, you can start to see the energies congregate in all of the different parts of the world. And when you look at that energy and you can classify it and say, Oh, that's really fiery energy then if need be you can take actions to balance it right so if you know that the energy is fiery okay i should give it like some more water and air and earth but if you don't know that the energy is fiery you might just throw more fire on it and not know right and so what ayurveda is asking us to do is let's actually see the energy that's around us and classify it so that we can actually balance it rather than unknowingly put it out of balance because i think that's mm-hmm. ultimately actually everything that we- that's that's our days that's where we run into trouble is when without knowing we make a problem worse because yeah. we just don't we don't know how to classify it and it gets back to the yoga of um was it perception and right perception right mm-hmm. we think that the person cut us off because they're a jackass but they right. cut us off because their wife's in the hospital Exactly You know and so it's the same deal if we think you know we think we're not good enough so we better work harder when actually we've been working so hard that's why we think we're not good enough and we actually need to mm-hmm. cool it down
1: Exactly yeah, that's a beautiful way to explain it. Thank you. It's really great.
0: I love it. Yeah, so much. Yeah.
1: Um. So, so when you get like a client, mm-hmm. maybe let's talk through like a a, a sample client. <laughs> yeah. Like who comes in is like you know, like I have all these like you know I feel down. Mm-hmm. I feel like you know I have these problems or these problems. Like where do you kind of start? Mm-hmm. Like is it kind of like do you start with like well what kind of foods are you eating or is it you know what, I guess what I'm trying to figure out is like is it sort of the similar to the way like a registered dietitian would start mm. like a, a, a consultation with like, well, what kinds of activities are you doing? What are you mm-hmm. you know, that that kind of thing?
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think it, it gets a little bit beyond even what a dietitian would do, because it is beyond exactly what you're eating. But it would be. Yeah. So what is happening with your job? So, you know, or because uh, a lot of times people say, oh, six months ago, I suddenly started getting a lot of headaches or six months ago. I started feeling really burned out. Okay, I'm like, OK, well, what happened six months ago then? Okay, what happened a year ago? Then you know what? Why is this, this last six months different than what happened before? And we look at that in in um, in work, in relationships, in how you're eating, and how you're moving, and how you're sleeping, uh, in how you're just feeling in general about your life, and what's happening in your family's health. Right? It was one of my clients recently you know, she has all this like anxious energy and it's, well, you know, she had a family member that was really sick two years ago. And so she spent three months with her cell phone clutched to her head every night because someone would call her at 1am every day to give her, you know, some sort of update or like to say something awful happened. And now, okay. Family's members fine. Thank goodness. Everyone's doing good. We're two years on and she's still clutching her cell phone at night with anxiety. And it's like, okay, so actually we got to go to two years ago and like say it's okay to soften things down now. Um, so, and you know, that anxiety from two years ago, that can end up manifesting in how she's eating and moving because now she's not sleeping. So she's not eating right. And she's mm-hmm. not moving right. So it's about, Ayurveda is about finding the root cause and you just drill yeah. down That's, and what, down I gonna, and that's down. what I was going to, that's what I was going to
1: get to is that, um, w- what we're talking about here is like the cause, not mm-hmm. the <laughs> symptoms
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right? That, that, yeah. That that you really got to see what the, what the cause is instead of. Right. Instead of adding instead of the reactivity, that's the symptom. Right.
0: Exactly. And especially like so to speak in a D.C. sense, especially what happens is a lot of people come and be like, I'm so tired. So this means it's called the kapha energy that is this more earthy, slow moving energy. And like I'm just so tired and I just want to eat like cake and I just want to sit on my couch and I'm just so tired. And like so, so I have this big kapha issue and I'm like, no, like you burnt yourself out and now your body is trying to make you stop and trying to help you sit. And so actually, yeah, we got to like, yes, we got to figure out what's happening on the couch, but actually we need to deal with like how burnt out you're getting all through your day. That makes you want to sit on the couch so Mm -hmm. bad. And because exactly, if we just fix the couch, that trying to push that person more isn't going to help them they're just going to keep feeling worse and worse and worse right
1: it may may (laughs) not make a difference if they stop eating cake and start eating vegetables yeah like it may make a little difference but ultimately they're still on the couch feeling burned out
0: well and exactly and like you know and you learn this really quickly i mean you know from teaching yoga it's same with you know when you're coaching someone is you're with them one hour of the week so what happens the other hundred something hours of the week and you know, someone could be as gung ho as they want to be when they talk to you for that hour. But ultimately, when they get tired on Thursday night, mm-hmm. something's going to happen.
1: Yeah. well, And that's why that's why, at least in my view, personal training mm-hmm. and yoga. I mean, they're all fitness related mm-hmm. things um, in mind, body, spirit, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, it's why when you when you work with somebody, what you're actually doing is you're giving them practice for themselves so that when they are not with you they do it themselves yeah in other words if you go to if you go to a session and you just give the client something yeah right it's that old it's that old it's a little parable about like you know catch a fish for me and i eat for a day you know teach me to fish i eat for the rest of my life Mm -hmm, right that type of thing so you mm -hmm. really need to like you really need to kind of position yourself as a teacher who is allowing the student to learn how to be disciplined themselves
0: and Yes. Oh, my freaking God, yes. I mean, this speaks to the two things that this brings to mind is first off, you know, how I realized really, really quickly that I was not interested in doing meal plans or calculating macronutrients for people. Because, like, if I tell you, like, Chris, you need to start eating oatmeal every morning before I actually ask you that you're allergic to oatmeal, like, what's the point of me doing that? That's what a lot of people are looking at. And the second one is, that's what we freaking need to do as yoga teachers. I... Can't stand when I'm in a class and a teacher is trying to tell me how to do my pose. If I'm like, "Are you in my knee? Exactly. You're not in my knee. Like, I'm in my knee. So I need to like give myself permission to not hurt myself right, right. now. And I think, and that speaks to that fishing because if if a student comes to my class thinking that I'm going to push them, hell no, that's not what I'm going to do. Right. I'm not here to I'm not here to motivate you or do any. No, you you are going to do things. I'm just. You know, yeah, that's providing I mean, you some support. That's
1: why I tell people, I'm like, listen, if you want somebody to just like kick your ass, yeah. like go to Barry's Bootcamp, yeah. and they'll do that, yeah. and like you'll feel exhausted, but yeah. you won't feel any better in the yeah. long term. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. And there, and there's
1: a place for Barry's camp I'm not putting down Barry's. Bootcamp, no, no, no. Um, or Never any been, Orange no. Theory, or yeah. any of the other mm-hmm. you know small box places. Mm-hmm. Like they're great workouts, mm-hmm. but if you're looking to change um your habit patterns reinforcing your habit patterns is not the way to do it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh my God. Right. Right. Reinforcing this idea of I need to go to yoga because I need someone to tell me how to do this because I can't force myself to do it because I don't have motivation. Exactly. I couldn't possibly get myself to do this. It's like, no, maybe actually you could. Yeah. I, th- I believe you can. Yeah. Like Right. And actually saying like believing in your students more than they believe in themselves. And again, that's not saying I believe in you to get to a handstand. It means I believe in you to take care of yourself. That yeah. to me is, Absolutely. that to me is powerful teaching.
1: Um, so talk a little about, you know, when in, in yoga, we always, we have these, you know, these great yoga texts, mm-hmm. right? We talk about the yoga sutras, mm-hmm. right? We talk about the Bhagavad Gita. Mm-hmm. Um, we talk about the Upanishads. We talk about the Vedas. What are some of those for Ayurveda or are there? Mm-hmm. Because I always got yeah. the sense that Ayurveda was one of these last, um, oral traditions that that really exist. In other words, like it literally is still being passed down from teacher to student and you can't just like go online and just like (laughs) read about it online, you know?
0: Yeah, luckily there is a lot more information about it. There so there it yes, you're true in that you're right in that it was primarily an oral tradition and um and that was the main way. There is a book. I'm gonna totally not pronounce it right, so I might not try to it's like the it's this it's I don't think it's chakra. It's either Chakrita or chakra Samhita, S-A-M-H-I-T-A. I know the last word of the book. Um, and that is like where it is written down and they have a book of surgery and there there is an Indian text. I haven't personally found like an English translation of that specific text yet. I'm sure it exists, but I feel like it's probably very expensive and I have to find one. Um, so, So that does exist. There is a place where this is written down. And right now, if I had to say, the best place to find like the, like close to closest to ancient tradition. I think I would say Vasant Lad's textbooks because there are books and there are definitely books made for lay people. Um, there are some manuals, but his textbooks are the most like, this is the science of Ayurveda. Yeah. Like, and this is what we're doing here. Um, and again, in the fact that it is beautifully weaving together, both the science and the art that it is. Um, so Vasant Lad's textbooks are the best way to go, but there is a book. There are yeah. books where the traditions are written down.
1: I mean, I think that's so, so cool in a sense that like you could get the heart of yoga, Mm -hmm. read it 10 times Mm -hmm. and probably be an okay yoga teacher. Yeah. Like, let's be honest. (laughs) That's essentially what I did when I was 19. (laughs) I just read that book
0: over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Like really? Yeah.
1: But. I get the feeling that with Ayurveda, because it's so involved and so dependent on the actual person that you're with, that mm-hmm. it really is something you have to have, like, like years of experience with. Like, you just have to learn, constantly be learning with it. You not are. Not that you don't with yoga, no, but, yeah. like, even more so.
0: Yeah. I mean, you have to constantly be learning. It and it's, I mean, maybe this is even a difference between, like, a public yoga class and a private yoga class, because you are, you are prescribing something to someone. You are not just saying, do warrior two. You are actually telling them what to put into their body every day. So there's yeah. also a... Uh, there's a, even more of an impetus on making sure that you are offering something that is helpful and not harmful. Um, and really being clear with the person of how, how this whole Ayurveda thing works, you know? Um, so it, it does take a lot. And I, I mean, I've been coaching on it for about three years and definitely I feel like I improve and learn something new every day because Uh, there's just there is there's tons to learn that's i mean i think that's why it's also kept my interest for so long you know Mm. as i talked about how i've switched around from all these things is it it, again the the end goal is like and there's the universe (laughs) so so you can kind of like keep going forever and it's really there's always more to learn um but yeah there is there is a lot and it's and there's a lot i'm not trying to say that that this isn't required for yoga but there is a requirement at least in my view of like learning how to actually coach people and learning how to sure. hold space for people and not just tell them what to do because Ayurveda doesn't work if you just tell people what to do either so mm-hmm. ultimately I take a model and maybe not every Ayurvedic practitioner would say this but I take a model of no I'm I'm this is a dialogue and I'm not like gonna save you you're gonna save you but i can give you some really cool Mm -hmm. wisdom
1: so in setting up your setting up your yoga classes like Mm -hmm. how do you how do you weave ayurveda like into your Mm -hmm. classes i mean obviously this not obviously maybe not obviously um this idea of balance Mm -hmm. right this idea of harmony Mm -hmm. this idea of a vibration Mm -hmm. it certainly is Mm-hmm. very powerful in a mm-hmm. lot of yoga practices. Mm-hmm. But how do you, do you actually like do lesson plans like based on, on, on an Ayurveda or how would you say it influences mm-hmm. like what you teach or how you go about?
0: Yeah, on a more like on the most basic level, I will think seasonally. So if it is a really hot day, okay, we have a fiery day. What will balance people? Like it's kind of funny. I was teaching class this morning and it's sometimes hard to to explain or... I had someone say afterwards, like, oh, okay, well, you know, if you could, like, help us also get deeper into some of these poses, I'd appreciate that. And I want to be like, no, no, you don't get it. Like, we were moving slow on purpose. Like, I wanted to – but right. it, okay, sh- that was just, like, a random thing that happened well, today. See, but and
1: I would just say something like, okay, bend over and shove your head up your ass.
0: <laughs> no, no. Keep she was trying
1: like, until sh- you do it. She
0: actually gave really – it was actually – she <laughs> gave this feedback in a really, really nice way, and it, and it made sense. But so – in, so in a certain sense, I say, okay, well, it's a really hot day. Like – you know we have all been sweating our asses off all day probably we don't need to do 95 sun salutations like maybe us holding some warrior twos and holding standing poses like you know i try to work it in that way and so all during pitta season we do a lot of heart openers because that is a thing to help um to balance your heart to balance that pitta to balance that fire is to not have that sharpness but to find the softness Mm -hmm. you know and um so I'll do it just on a pure seasonal level, and then if there is a specific lesson that either I'm learning about myself or I've been working on with a, um, with a client, those those will sometimes come in specifically and say, okay, well let's talk about what happens to pitta in this specific sense or in this specific circumstance. So it'll work in in like a seasonal sense, and then sometimes in a day to day sense as well. That's cool. If that answers your question. Yeah, totally. Yeah.
1: No, I mean I find that I mean I'll, I'll do things. Generally, as a general rule, when it gets to be January, I'm like, all right. We're doing the rocket.
0: Yeah, we're exactly. doing this
1: like we're exactly. doing this rocket shit yeah. for the next three months. Yeah, like to make yeah. sure we have energy and to exactly. make sure we don't we don't fall into like a funk.
0: Exactly. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then when it gets to be summer, it's like okay, I want to move a little more fluidly. I want to you yeah. know really I really it's warm out, so my muscles are already a little bit exactly. expansive. So I want to go a little deeper into mm-hmm. like some yin postures. Mm-hmm. I wanna really want to explore the mm-hmm. depth of a pose. Mm-hmm. You know, I can be warm in a class. Mm-hmm. I'm not coming in cold. So I I mm-hmm. definitely mm-hmm. you know that's that's kind of the way I look at it for uh, me.
0: It's yeah. exactly it. And it's it's is, it's common sense and it's this reminder that our yoga practice doesn't have to be the exact same day in and day out and day in and day out. And that mm-hmm. we are our it's our not our job as yoga teachers, but it's our job also as yogis to try to actually balance the energy
1: That's right. In our world. That sound you heard was a hundred million Ashtanga yogis screaming. <laughs>
0: don't worry the hate mail
1: (laughs) is already coming in i learned on journey
0: into power so i'm i'm there and i did journey into power good like i did it every day for a lot of a lot of months because my my teacher training we did we did jip so
1: so tell me a little bit about because you've been you've been in you know i i started yoga about five and a half years ago Mm -hmm. i've only with it with a couple i've been to new york a couple of times taking yoga classes there yeah I really have no idea how they practice yoga anywhere else but Mm, Washington, D.C. So tell us a little bit about, like, if you see any differences between classes, like, in D.C. and New York, and especially in North Carolina, like, the differences and stuff.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. So there there is a time effect here that I definitely have to mention, because I didn't do yoga in D.C. 10 years ago, so I don't know what it was like 10 years ago. But um, in New York, it was... Like, I remember going to yoga class and like you know, a random short sleeve cotton t-shirt and, uh, you know, random shorts. Like there was, there was not the sense that you had to, there was not like the Lululemon or like the yoga brand, you, you know, it was, it was not fancy. Right. You could show up exactly as who you are. You could get schooled by a 60 year old next to you. Like, you know, it just, it was very like anyone could show up, anyone could show up as they were and you would do your thing. Um, North Carolina, by that point, there was a little more of like the Lululemon sense Um, and then dc i guess what i noticed for dc particularly compared to new york city and even in a certain extent compared to north carolina is way less chanting pranayama mudra discussion of outside philosophy of yoga um, and it it feels a lot more athletic in general and i think maybe the And I don't want to say that I think all the teachers aren't thinking about it, but I guess I would say there's way less communication about why the hell we're in this class in the first place. Mm -hmm. And my own, you know, strength and weakness is that I really need to know why I'm doing something if I'm going to do it. And more than other cities I've been in, I will walk out of a class being like, I guess that was cool, but I could have done that in my bedroom if I wanted to. Yeah. Yeah, And so... In New York City, I felt like when I went to class, like I was either learning something or changing something in a really significant way. And maybe that it was just a Laughing Lotus experience. Maybe it was a really fabulous studio. Who knows? Um, or maybe it spoke to me in the ways that other studios don't. But um, but even in North Carolina, I, Lori Bergwin, who's been running this beautiful studio for so many years um, there... You could you could get a chant happening. You could get right. it, like stuff. Things would come up, and and especially I mean, she was trained through Baron Baptiste, so there was, uh, you know, there is a bringing in of spirituality, or let's try to improve ourselves off of the mat as well. And so I guess that's like the that's the thing that I notice most for DC is more than other places I've been, feeling like oh that was a great class, like I moved my body, and that's kind of where it ends.
1: Right. Not so, to do like you, down. so do you like, so do you, but then do you like kind of in response, like take time to do that stuff in your class? Yeah, you do,
0: yeah, yeah. like I, and if I don't because I haven't had time to think about it, I feel like crap. Like <laughs> I'd be like, if i if I ever walk out of a class being like, "Oh God, I just taught a generic yoga class, I am like, that wasn't that wasn't cool. Um, and I feel it like myself, I'm like, oh gosh, where did that come from? Right. um which it happens less and less these days, but Um, because I've realized that that's something that's really important to me, but no, I, I walk into every class with a, a big old thought of what I want to communicate, feeling and trying as much as possible that the physical poses are helping us feel that mental or emotional theme. And then super bonus. If we get to add good, um, Again, mudra or pranayama to it. I haven't done too much chanting. The, the studio I currently teach at, they're like I think I would scare everyone if I started chanting. So I'm working on it. I got them to hum the other day, so we're doing it slowly. Baby steps. Yeah, exactly.
1: Um, so do you have uh, do you have a lot of time to practice on your own now?
0: It's hard. It is. It's really hard and hard figuring. I mean, not out. like at
1: home, but oh, like yeah. going to classes.
0: Going to classes. Yeah. So going to classes, I've done a lot less of recently. And some of this is that I live right in Clarendon. So a lot of the studios that I would want to go to, like Yoga Heights, Flow, Yoga Noma, even like they're just they're further for me to get to. Um, And so I don't go as much into there. I've actually I do Yoga Glow at home. Oh, yeah. And I do that because there are teachers on there that I really want to learn from. And I feel like I have a lot to learn from as teachers as well as in my practice. Um, and so that just fits my schedule a lot better. And I've, I've really actually loved doing that. That's worked very nicely for me.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then tell us also about your cross training.
0: Yeah. My cross training right now is Peloton, which I just mentioned Peloton. I know. Right. So, and it's, there's a couple of reasons. No, I mean, I
1: like everybody I know who has it, like loves it. Like says it's amazing.
0: I will say my apartment building has it. I do not buy it on my yoga teacher salary. Ah. I'm just going to say it. My apartment building has it. I'm very lucky because um, I was going I was going to the cycling classes at Equinox which was really great but now I can do it at home so I Peloton mm-hmm. um, and that's been really good I enjoy running short distances but my knees just don't like it very much so I've stuck with the with the cycling because I do feel a need to get the heart rate up and I have found I am happier when I don't come to my yoga mat trying to get a workout right I am happier when I come to my yoga mat saying I want to move and it's going to feel really awesome yeah, take that but pressure off I'm not off. trying to exactly I'm not trying to burn calories or anything. Not that yep. I feel like that with Peloton either, but again speaking to the conversation we just had about the classes in in DC is I've gone to like classes whether it's at Equinox and sometimes at Peloton where like I think I got more yogic philosophy out of this spin class than yeah. I did out of a yoga class that I was in. And so, you know, like there's like when they tell me, like, believe in yourself in my Pel- Peloton class, I'm like, thank you. I needed that right now. <laughs> thank you for that. It was really That's good. That's great. You know, I, And so I enjoy that.
1: <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Anything else you do, like, on the side besides running, cycling?
0: Cycling. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I hop around my house a little bit. I took uh, the class by Taryn Toomey up in New York when I was there a little bit ago. And Mm -hmm. that's a really interesting yoga fusion uh, thing. And I I do a little bit of that. But um, but for the most part. Um,
1: Resources. Tell Mm. us about resources that people can learn more about Ayurveda or yoga, Mm. like places you go. Um, or maybe places you go revisit over and over again.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, really great ones. Um, so Ayurveda wise, my new favorite book about Ayurveda, just as a great introduction, please excuse the name. It's called Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda um, by Sahara Rose. And it's actually a really well-written book. And I mean, it, they
1: usually get really like well-known it's, people it's, to write those things. It's actually really
0: like... well done. It's really, really well done. So that's really good. Um, Something I've been revisiting a lot and a lot again um, recently is The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success by Deepak Chopra. And that actually gets into karma and dharma and, like, it's ultimately yogic principles, which is really lovely. Um, Specifically, I'm trying to think if there's a specific yoga one. Oh, I really love this book that I have right now. It's called Myths of the Asanas. Um, I love that. I have
1: that book. You know what? My uh, my yoga students gave that to me oh. after our first yoga teacher training.
0: That's so good. So good. It's great. And yeah. that one's just fun because it's like a reminder of like, why? The, again, why are we here? <laughs> why are we here? And it's, it's fun. It's a new way to like look at poses like the warriors, like mm-hmm. um, turtle, like, you know, all these things. So those are great. So Idiot's Guide to Ayurveda. Anything by Vasant Lad. He gets more technical, but they're great. Um and that's that's for Ayurveda. Seven spiritual laws. Myths of the Asanas is a good one. I have I have some searching to do myself. I wanna get a new translation of um it's a translation that everyone has of uh the Yoga Sutras. I still use my heart of yoga, but
1: which one do you want? Everyone does I think, I it? have twelve at oh, home.
0: Really? Oh my god. I think it's <laughs> it's either s- it's either Swami Rama or Swami Sitchinanda. It's yeah. like that blue cover. one. The blue one. one, the, the, yeah, the, the blue one yeah. yeah. Everyone has that one. I really need to get it. And so I can dive in more. We I mean, didn't get to talk about it too much, but I get, I, I have a good read and a good background from the, from like all the yoga texts from, mm-hmm. you know, just all the classes and, and work I've done over the years. But I do get a lot of my themes when I think about now, I get a lot of my themes from Buddhism. So I read a lot of Thich Nhat Hanh, mm-hmm. um, Pima Chodron, uh, like uh, Shogya, Trump, Rinpoche. These are the Shambhala nice, guys. Yes. Yeah. So, so a lot of my themes actually end up coming from Buddhist readings, but all the yoga stuff is amazing. That's great.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, um well, thank you for coming and joining us.
0: Thank you so much, Chris. This was amazing. I will yeah. talk yoga with you anytime. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it was great to have you. Um, all right, so we're going to uh, sign off today. Um, again, uh, you can reach me at dcyogapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and um, thanks again to uh, One Love uh, Massive. And uh, we'll uh, we'll see you next time. Take care.
0: Thank you.